Bible tonight and turn to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. It'll be page 70. And page 70, hold your place there. Then turn over to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, page 1202. They seem to be very far apart, but in reality, they're not. And uh, we'll, we'll show you why in just a minute. Genesis chapter 50, page 70, then hold your finger there, and then page 1202, Romans 8, 28. When you have found your place, amen? When you have found your place, let's stand together and just read these two verses. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. What's the next two words? What? What? But God meant it unto good to bring the pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, if you would, go right over to Romans 8.28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that, what's the next two words? How many things? Work together for good to them that love God. Let me stop right there. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility to love God if God doesn't dwell in your heart. If you've never been to an old-fashioned place, if you've never been to a, to a place where you recognized I'm a sinner, and Jesus is my Savior, and trusted Him as your Lord and Savior tonight, it is an impossibility for you to love God. Absolutely impossible. For we know that all things work together for good to them that... What's the next two words? What? Let's get a little livelier than that. What? Good. To them who are called according to his purpose. I had a thought tonight it would be he maketh no mistakes. Brother Barry Goodman, how about you praying, brother? Amen. You be seated. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to set you up. You don't have to wonder if I'm setting you up. I'm setting you up. How many believes he maketh no mistakes? Raise your hand. Truly, you really believe that? Okay. Here's the setup. Then can we trust him with the details of our lives? It is one thing to say, I believe he maketh no mistakes. 
But does your life reflect that we trust Him with all the details of our lives? For it's real easy to say, He maketh no mistakes. But it's a lot harder to say to live trusting Him with all the details of life. Now, we really have no problem trusting the details of life when they're good. But what about when they're not good? What about the baby that's born with birth defects? Parents take you home, and a few months later, she dies. What about in, in Central Africa? Just this week, a gang of Muslims with machetes and guns killed hundreds of fleeing Christians. One man said, they slaughtered us like chickens. What about the man and wife that feel the call of God to go to Benghazi, Libya, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ... One day near his home, men pull up in a, and start shooting. And when they drive away, he's left dead on the street. He's only 33 years old. What about the police officer who stops a man who's known to be a drug dealer? There's a struggle and somehow the drug dealer grabs the officer's guns and bystanders said, shoot him. And he does right in the face. And the officer was in his early 20s. All these stories are true, by the way. Is God still good? Even in this? For you see, those are the things that we struggle with. Those are the things tonight when... We give a title to a message. He maketh no mistakes. We can all say, Hallelujah, Amen, preacher. That's right. However, whenever we face those kind of things in our life, there is the question that arises. Is, it, is this right? Is this good? And it is the great question that troubles the hearts of God's people. It is none greater than why. Lord, why did this happen? Lord, why why didn't you answer my prayer? Then when we see the pain of a fallen world, we wonder, where is God in all this? Now the greatest of minds have wrestled with, why me, why now, why this? And the truth of the matter is, even with a number this size, there's, a, there's many here that could say, well, why didn't God do that for me? He did it for them. Why not me? I serve Him. I'm faithful. I tithe. I pray. So the question comes, why do they happen to good, godly, decent people? Why does it happen to people that love the Lord?
I've known some people that truly, truly love the Lord and seemingly. Uh, I thought a lot about Brother Ernie this week as he comes in next week. And I mean, it, it's, been, it's been tremendous in just, just in a matter of less than a nine-month span. He buries a wife. He has open heart surgery. He buries a grandbaby in a, in, a, in a span of nine months. And uh, unless you're some kind of superhuman, you find yourself saying, God, I surely don't understand this. But it always drives me back to the question of saying, can we trust God? with all the details of our lives. Well, there is a doctrine in the Bible, and it's what I really wanted to share with you tonight. I believe it is a doctrine that if you could get a hold of, I mean, truly, truly nail it to your heart that could literally change your life. I believe this doctrine here can stop a whole lot of Poor-mouthing God. Everybody knows what poor-mouthing God is? <laughs> that, you know, poor... I think this, if we could really attach this doctrine to our hearts, I believe it has the, I believe it has the ability to put a smile when everybody looks at you and said, why are you smiling when that happened to you? It is called the providence of God. Now the word providence simply means to see before. Let me say this. One thing providence is not. Providence is not God overriding your free will. It is He just sees it before it happens. And He knows about it. As a matter of fact... Acts 2, 24, 2 said, And when he was called for it to, to tell us, began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that, that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. You saw it coming. God sees your tomorrow before your tomorrow gets here. God saw you before you got here tonight. That is the providence of God. It has the ideal of God's gracious oversight of the universe. It tells me something else. It tells me God sees the big picture. I, I believe sometimes one of our great errors is that we see all the symptoms and details, but we rarely see the big picture of what God's doing. This is the way I liken it, and, and uh, I don't think I'm wrong. It, it, it's like a, a, a several thousand piece puzzle. And we reach up and grab the lid, and God grabs the lid from us and says, No, I got the lid. You just put the pieces in one at a time. And it's only when it's complete do you see the totality of what it's going to look like. It has the ideal of God. It concerns himself with the smallest of details. There is nothing, nothing, 
Nothing happened to you today that God was not aware of. Now, I don't know about you, if that ever, that ever finds a place in our hearts, it could literally change our lives. He upholds all things. He governs all things. He directs everything to its appointed end. He does this all the time, all the time in every circumstance. He does it always for His glory. First, God cares about the smallest details of life. He knows when a sparrow falls from a tree. Isn't that amazing? He numbers the hairs on our head. When hair number 5,425 come out in a comb today, he recorded it. He keeps track of the, scar, the stars and the skies and the rivers that flow to the ocean. He knew before the Supreme Court ever passed a judgment how they would judge. He sets the days of your birth and the days of your death. He ordains everything that comes to pass in between. We could ever get a hold of the fact of the providence of God and that we can trust Him with all the, with every detail of our life. How much, how much we are out of sorts over the details. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not much for details. Someone wants to tell me a story. Don't give me details. Just cut to the chase. But God cares about details. He cares about details. Second, He uses everything and wastes nothing. There's no accidents with God, only divine appointments. Number three, God's purpose his purpose is for every one of us. God's purpose and all oh, how He could change your life. God's purpose is not to make you rich or give you more stuff. God's purpose is to shape us to be like Jesus Christ. Everything God does, He purposes to mold us and shape us into becoming more like Jesus. I hate to tell you this. This is going to really be unnerving for some of you. He really does not care that you don't have more stuff. He's not concerned about how uh, if you... He is concerned when you're hurting, but not over stuff. He does feel your infirmities when this old body is sick. But trust me, he ain't upset that you didn't get the new car you wanted. Didn't bother him a bit. And we find, and we find... That God so often uses things. Romans 8.29 For whom he did foreknow, he did also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And what he does, he uses so often difficult moments, tragedies. As a matter of fact, most of the New Testament was written from a prison cell. I mean, you, you said, my soul, what? Yeah, Paul was in prison when he wrote most of the New Testament. So we find that God said, I got a purpose. 
Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Proverbs 69, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Providence is this. It is the invisible hand of God. Providence is the invisible hand of God. That is the reason. Oh, please listen. That's the reason. I, I, I visited a young man. And uh, I, I mean a young man, probably in his 30s. And uh, he shared this with me. And the man's, young man's very sick, very sick. And I'll be honest. I do believe unless God touches him, I don't know that he'll make it. Unless God sees fit to, by his grace to touch him. But here's what he said. He said, Pastor, I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I'd done my own thing. Nobody, nobody was going to tell me what to do. He said, but now, but now. He said, I never would have dreamed that I would be in a place that I can't even hardly walk to the front door. I couldn't help but think. But I said, but son, if that's what it's taken to get you here and you're looking to God, it's been the greatest thing that's ever happened. You say, oh yeah, here's why. Because where he was going, had he died instantly, he went to hell and burned forever. And now God in His grace has stopped His world. Stopped it. Some of you don't think God can stop your world. He can stop your world. In a heartbeat, He can stop your world. He stopped His world to say, Son, I've been talking to you my last time. Now let's talk. Now He's willing to listen to anything God has to say. And He's willing to trust Providence of God means three things. It means sovereignty. He's in control. It means wisdom. He makes no mistakes. It means goodness. He has, he has our best interest at heart. Nothing happens by chance. Now, we started in our text in the book of Genesis. And the reason I did is because no man, no young man, in the Bible, illustrates learning the providence of God greater than Joseph. Joseph lived, Romans 8, 28. He literally lived it. And he learned something. Joseph learned that God makes no mistakes. And he also learned this. He learned to trust God with every detail of his life. Now listen, you're going to always struggle. You're going to always struggle. If God comes in when the catastrophe happens, the youngin's in the hospital, the car blows up, you lose your job, this happens. When you run to God then, you're always going to miss the reality 
that God wants to be involved in every detail of your life. Here's what we do. Now you can say amen or not because I know we do this. You say, how you know? I've done my share of it. When it's the big things, oh God, we need your help. Lord God, please. But when it's the little things, oh, okay, God, I'll take care. Or else we do this. And I believe we're masters at this. God, uh, I, I, I'd like your direction on, on this. And Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm praying. And God, I want you to give me direction. And God says, no. Now, how many of you like to hear no? Don't look at me like that. You know you don't like to hear no. I don't care what it is. No. I don't even like the sound of the word. No. God says, no. Do you understand? Do you understand that a lot of times God says, how, how, many of you, how many of you parents, how many of you parents have got a very nice vehicle, but you've got a, a child that's probably nine or ten, and they think they can drive. They think they can drive as good as you. And they'd say, listen, can I go drive your, my, can I have the car keys? Can I go drive you? How many of you would say, no? You know why you'd say no? Because you've got enough brains to understand they don't know how to drive. What we have to understand is tonight that sometimes God says no because he knows as his children that's going to hurt us. That ain't going to be good. That's the reason why you young ladies, if you got half a brain, if you got a half a brain, whenever God says no to a boy, you ought to run as fast as you can. Because I'll tell you what, I can line them up to the road that says, I don't I just love him. I don't care. I love him. I, I'm gonna get him no matter what. I go and you get it, and a few days, oh God, what am I gonna do? I can't get rid of it. I'm telling you. We get in the mess because we are handling the details of our life. Not letting God handle the details because we don't like it. No. And then what we do is when it turns into a mess, oh, don't miss this. How many times? How many times have we done something? We went to God and God said, no. He said, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And you've done it anyway. He ended up being the worst thing. I'll never forget. I'll never. Or, or worse shit. This is the worst thing. This is the worst thing. How many of you do it and you don't even ask God? You don't even ask him. I seen an orange truck one time. It's as orange as Jimmy's shirt back there. I wanted that truck. I was going to get that truck no matter what. Someone, my dad said, did you pray? No, I, I yeah, 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 I pray. I wanted that truck. I got that truck. One month later, I was so sick of that truck. I, I never been so sick of nothing in my life. And, and the truth of the matter is, we, we do this all the time. We find here Joseph was a wonderful example. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this story, but just let me hit the high spots. Joseph, favorite son of Jacob. He got a coat of many colors. That coat of many colors spoke of position that he had. Of course, that coat, and then he dreamed, and 
Man, I'm telling you, that dream got him in trouble. He didn't have enough sense to keep his mouth shut. Amen. And he got him in trouble. And his brothers was going to kill him. No doubt about it. Put him in the pit to kill him. That was their intent. One of them spoke up and said, Listen, let's not kill him. We can't make no money doing that. Let's sell him. So they sold him to the Midianites. Took that coat, put goat's blood on it, carried it back to daddy. Broke his heart. You read the story. Uh, Jacob uh, said, I- I'll go to my grave, a grieving over my son. And, and, and so he was sold to the Midianites. And Midianites took it in Egypt and sold him to Potiphar. And God touched everything he done. And while he's there, he's a good-looking fellow. So Miss Potiphar, Jezebel, she, 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 she tried her best to seduce him. And he runs and leaves his coat. And uh, she comes out and she's humiliated because he, he turned her down. And she's hollering, rape, rape. And he gets him put in prison. Why is there a, a butler and a, and a baker have a dream? And uh, one of the, don't, don't miss this, I love that story. Because one of them dudes trying to, to poison the king. See, the butler was the one that brought him the drink and the baker fixed his, his food and stuff. So one of them was trying to poison the king. The king got a hold of it. He put them both in jail to sort it out who's doing it. And they had a dream. And uh, Joseph said, well, here's what's going to happen. Butler said, you're going to lose your head. I mean, you're going to get your job back. The baker, you're going to lose your head. Sure enough, next day, it's exactly what happened. Two years later, Pharaoh dreams. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh can't understand the dream. And then the butler says, Oh, my soul, oh, my soul, my soul, my soul. King, I remember there's a little old Hebrew boy down there. He can tell you what that dream means. They bring him up there and they shave him. Don't miss this. There's a message there in that shaving, but I won't take it tonight. There's a message there. Anyway, he, he was shaved him, and he brought him in, and he told Pharaoh the, the, the dream, and now he's second in command. He controls all the food in the corn. Here comes the brothers. They're out of food. And all of a sudden, here they come. And guess what's the first thing they do before Joseph? They bow. Boy, Joseph is saying, I remember dreaming this, and now it's coming to pass. But don't miss this. Joseph, by this time, had saw God in everything. By this time, Joseph had saw the providential hand of God in his life. Isn't it amazing? It's absolutely amazing. Just at the right moment, his brothers threw him in the pit. Just at the right moment, the Midianites come along. Just at the right moment, he sold to Potiphar. Just at the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. Just at the right moment, he met the baker and the the butler. Just at the right moment, the, the butler remembered just at the right moment, Pharaoh called him. Just at the right moment, he was pro, promoted as prime minister. Just at the right moment, Jacob sends his son to Egypt. 
just at the right moment he meets his brothers meet Joseph and just at the right moment Joseph reveals himself to his brothers if you don't see anything else just at the right moment just the right way and just the right people you will continually to go down that empty, 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 worthless, failure, 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 failure hole until you say, God, I want you dictating the details of my life. Let me see you in everything that I do. That is so foreign to where we live. We've done it so long ourselves. Here's the battle. For us to surrender that and say, God, I want you controlling every detail of my life. Every detail. It'll it'll stop some of you blowing your stack all the time. We were sitting in LAX Airport in California. We had got there, and my flight was to leave at 11. Well, we, we got through. It took two and a half hours to make about a 45-minute trip, but we finally got there. That crazy woman driving the bus from the rental car place to the, to the airport, man, that, that's riding half right there. I'm telling you, we holding on for dear life, praying every minute. God, don't let her kill us. She was wild. I mean, she'd blow the horn, and she put that bus in places I, I just wouldn't believe. Poor cars just spreading around. She just took over, you know. And uh, we got there. So we're sitting in a chair. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And finally about 12.30, Darlene said, Honey, you might want to go look at the board. I said, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I go over there and look at the board. And by 90, 1996, to Charlotte, North Carolina, departed at 11.55. I'm not going to lie to you. I had a heart attack. <laughs> Here I am. I mean, they're some really weird people in California. I mean, you know, we held on to the bags and each other and everything else. And, and I... And, and I I said, well, and, and I, I'll be very honest with you. I said, what, what, what am I going to do here? What? And so I went up there to the, to the counter, and that, that dude back there, and people out there are about as friendly as rattlesnakes. And uh, I said, sir, I, we missed our flight. And I said, I, I'll get to Charlotte. I said, I can't stay here. <laughs> and my voice is about 10 octaves high. Because when I get stressed, my voice gets high. And uh, he said, oh, well, that's no problem. 
He said, we're just going to put you on the next flight. I said, what gate? He said, this gate right next to you. He said, matter of fact, they're going to load in about an hour. And he says, matter of fact, he said, uh, you was on, they, they load the plane in zone. How many of you knew that? They load the plane in zone. You know, the first class, you know, the rich dudes. Class two is a little better. Class five, you're at the tail end of the plane, back off the luggage, you know, where you're at. And it went way back in the back. And our first flight was zone five, seat 24, 25. And I said, and I told him, I said, well, we don't have to go far to the bathroom. We're going to be right there at it. So anyway, he got me a new flight. He said, I'm going to put you in zone two, right behind first class. Me and I was the only ones on the seat. And we was, we, we, that way I could sleep. We could stretch out a little bit. But it's halfway back. Halfway back. It dawned on me. Why was I so stressed? Why was I flipping out back there? Yeah. Why, why was, why was that? I mean, God knew exactly where I was at. He knew that plane was right there beside of us coming to Charlotte. And then you say, well, preacher, that's just coincidental. I don't care what you call it. I just call it God. See, I, I'm convinced, church, and I, I'm glad. I, this ain't the message I had for tonight. I was going to start a whole new series. They, they, late this evening, God just began to deal with my heart about this message. And I, and I believe right now if there's a people... You and I can turn our church upside down. You and I can turn your world upside down if you and I can trust God with every detail of our life. That means when he says yes, it's okay. He says no, it's okay. I'll be very, very honest with you. There's a lot of folks I was thinking about about Johnny today, and, and uh, I, I hope he don't mind me sharing this. I don't think he will. That man's he's got he's got fibromyalgia just so bad. Cause I used to walk with him, and uh, he would walk real fast, cause that relieved the pain. And I thought I walked fast until I started walking with him. He can walk fast, but he's in pain constantly to the point of just almost unbelievable. I can't tell you why that is. No more than I can tell you why God chose to take Miss Hannah or his grandchild. But I can tell you this. We can trust God with every detail of our life. God has a divine purpose in everything that he does. Here's the question. We live defeated because we think we know more than God. We think we know more than he does. I, I, I'm convinced of that. 
And the truth is, and, and here's when you're going to understand a whole lot of it. You're not going to understand a whole lot of this till we get on the other side. And God's going to take you over here and he's going to listen here. You know that you were so upset with me over because I kept telling you, no, no, let me show you why I said no. And you're going to say, oh, God, he'll fall his feet and praise him because you don't know, but he does. I'm trying to tell you tonight, we don't have to handle all these details ourselves. God can handle them if we'll let him. I love this. In 1920, a young man by the name of A.M. Overton became the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Baldwin, Mississippi. In 1932, Mrs. Overton was pregnant with her fourth child. When it comes time to delivery, there was complications, and both she and the baby died. During the funeral, the preacher or officiating in the service noticed Pastor Overton over there just writing on a piece of paper feverishly. And afterwards, he, he couldn't help. He said, he said I, I know this is not a good time, but he said, I gotta have, what was you writing? And he said, I, I wrote a poem. He said, God, give me a poem. Later on, the poem was set to music. Let me just stop here and just say this. It, it, it's not that there's any magic in that old hymnal book. The power in that is how those songs were birthed. That's the reason this contemporary music movement is all about making money and patting the food. It ain't birthed out of nothing. These songs were birthed out of some things. And this song was later on, this poem was later on put to music. And the song went like this, He maketh no mistakes. My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I trust my Lord to lead. He doth know the way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break. I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. Though so much now I cannot see, my eyelids far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Though all the way, though dark to me, he maketh no mistake. When we get to heaven, one of the things that you're going to look back over the pathway of life and you'll see through all the twists and turns and detours that he was there all the way. But until that morning, until that morning and the sunlight of God's presence fills our face. And I, and I know life's hard sometimes. I'm not trying to belittle anybody's life that may be hard. I'm not trying to belittle any of that. Even though it may be hard sometimes, God is good. And in the end, will all say is his children, he maketh no mistakes. Here's the question. Not can we trust him?
with all the details of our life? That's really not the question. Because you can answer yes to that. But the real question is, will you trust him with all the details of your life? And this is the reason why that every person right here tonight, I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about a trip to the altar. And you said, yeah, I got saved, but your life's never changed. I'm talking about when you look into your heart, the truth is you're just not saved. How in the world can you trust him? You don't know him. You don't know him as your Savior. You know about him. You know what some others may have, but you don't know him for yourself. And until you know him for yourself, then how can you trust him whom you don't know? So the first question tonight is, I'm not talking about church. I don't care if you've been here. I don't care if you've been here for the last thousand years. That means nothing. I don't care what names you want. I don't care whose name you're part of. It makes no difference. I tell you what I'm praying. I'm praying for God to touch the heart of our young people. I told them this morning, there's no magic in going to Crown or to Temple Baptist Church. Years ago, I took a whole crowd to pastor school. I found out real quick. I thought because God done it for me there, he'd do it for everybody. Whoa, was I shocked when I realized there was no magic in that place. The magic is in opening our hearts. I told him this morning, the magic is opening your heart and letting God do something for you. And you don't have to be there for God to do something for you. You can be here tonight. You can be here tonight. It may be what God needs to do for you is you need to know Christ as Savior. And if you are settled on that, 100% settled, then the next question is, will you trust Him with every detail of your life? Now, you be careful how you answer that question. You be careful how you answer it. Real easy to say, yes. God just may put you in a place tomorrow to see you, how real that is. Will you trust him with every detail of your life? Let's all stand, every head bowed.